Welcome to Happy Hour on itsneworleans.com. I'm Mindy, sitting in for Grant again, happily so. And we're at the Columns Hotel at 3811 St. Charles Avenue on a beautiful first day of French Quarter Fest in New Orleans. And over the next hour or so, you'll get to meet three creative locals, and you'll get to hear some live music by at least two of them and by our own Mitch Foreman. At the end of the show, you'll probably be reassured that New Orleans is a fantastic city where people love to eat, talk, have fun, sing, play, and enjoy others doing the same. And maybe you'll find yourself in your car or on a plane, hightailing it here while you listen so you can join us for French Quarter Fest, which is starting right now. So here are the columns. Before we go, it's happy hour, and here we go. Thank you, Mitch Foreman. Thanks for being with here with us today, Mitch. Um, along with our own Mitch, we have uh, three, actually four guests today. We have Michael Patrick Welch. Michael, do you go by Michael? Uh, yes. Okay. He's a local author with two brand new books out, several offbeat cover stories in front of us, and um, his two new books are Donkey Show and New Orleans, The Underground Guide. Actually, The Donkey Show is my old book that's out of print. Uh, my two new books are Y'all, <laughs> Y'all's Problem is my novel, and uh, New Orleans, The Underground Guide is a music book. Where is our research, in turn? <laughs> I, you don't have to do research if you have the person there Trouble. with you. That's <laughs> true. To my right, I have Sally Heller. She is in New Orleans based artist. She has degrees from the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Do you talk like that? (laughs) And an MFA from Virginia Commonwealth University. She has received artists and residencies from Headland Center for the Arts in San Francisco, California and Yaddo in Saratoga Springs, New York. We're really glad to have you. Howdy. Howdy. And across we have Kristen and Eric from eHarmonic Souls. In Harmonic Souls. In Harmonic Souls. Wow, where is our research intern? <laughs> so fired. <laughs> Welcome. Um, they have brought a couple of guests with them, a shaker and a... Omnicord. Omnicord. I can't get to wait to know all four of you. Can't wait to get to know all four of you. Um, so you two, Kristen and Eric... Tell us about Enharmonic Souls. You all are a New Orleans-based band and a post-Katrina Genesis band. Wow. Yep, <laughs> that's what happened. So, <laughs> you want to start with it? Yeah, it was a, an odd coincidence of things that just kind of a calamity of things that happened. Um, I came back to New Orleans after Katrina. I'm originally from Cutoff, Louisiana. Um, and I was living up here. And when the storm happened, I moved back home. Uh, and they came up about eight months later. Um, started going to school at Delgado and tried to get involved with something to kind of get myself back in the groove of things creatively. Uh, got involved in the theater and I met this young lady that loved to sing and she was a part of the musical that we were putting on that I was helping do lights for. And we just shared a common musical interest in a. Uh, Jeff Buckley, and that's how it all kind of started. And this is you two. Yeah. (laughs) He, MySpace, stalked me. So this is a MySpace days, and he sent me some message like, we should get together and jam. And I didn't even really know who he was or that we were in the same production until that happened. And I saw him, and 
one of the rehearsals and I was like, oh, are you that guy like stalking me and talking about that we should hang out and, you know. Oh, wait, we've been working on the same production oh, for the last yeah. five weeks. And... <laughs> yeah, I was in my own world. I was really depressed and I got involved with the production to kind of get my mind off of a breakup. And the first time we hung out, we wrote a song and it kind of just snowballed from there. I've been writing songs to myself in my room and um, we ended up collecting bandmates along the way. And your bandmates are Justin Davis and Booyah. Oh, he is our old drummer. Booyah is our old drummer. Okay. And now we have a <laughs> <Wow>. new drummer, <laughs> um, Daryl Poche, who was actually on the show with us last time we oh, were here. Oh, fabulous. What is Cut Off Louisiana like? We've had two guests from, well, at least two guests from Cut Off. All right, you got to tell me That's who the other guest was. Was, yeah. it Dorian, was it Dorian Man. Dardar? Is that, yeah. Wasn't it? Dorian Dardar. Dorian. Few weeks, you know yeah, him? I know Dorian. Yeah, yeah. I went to school with Dorian. You went <laughs> to, there you go, of course. How many? You went to one like room cut off elementary. And... <laughs> I didn't go to cut off elementary. I went to Galliano Elementary. What was it uh, like, though? It's fantastic. It's Not a great hometown experience. Um, how many people? I don't know what it's up to now, but, um, you know, chances are there's always a six degrees. Uh, going on. Anytime someone from up here in New Orleans says, oh, you're from Cutoff? Yeah, I know someone from Cutoff. And then you kind of go, all right. And you kind of give it a 50-50 chance where it's like, 50, all right, 50. who is it? But what is it like? Yeah, is it more like, like 90, Cajun yeah. community at all? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Large, uh, you grew up fishing? Uh, yeah, fish. Yeah. It wasn't, um, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of trawling and a lot of offshore uh, work going on out there. Um, right. But it's great people. You know, I'd, I'd go back there any day. He, 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 Dorian spoke very highly of it as well. He talked a lot about the uh, culture changing, the world, sort of the culture diminishing, uh, yeah. because of people, I think, leaving and not coming home. It is kind of dwindling down. You know, the the, the Cajun French heritage of everything is kind of just taking a, a back step. Um, but now the elementary schools are starting to in, are starting to incorporate uh, more of the the French language and teaching the elementary kids, you know, the culture of everything. So I'm glad that they're reinstituting that. Um, back into the schools. You, know, that's you great. sound like him now that I'm listening. Do you when when they're bringing <laughs> I the can French? Put it on if you want. I can really <laughs> turn it on. Absolutely, have another cocktail. <laughs> Do um, are they teaching the Cajun French, the local? French, uh, some or? of it, yeah. Okay. Some of it, as far as I know, um, I'm not sure what the curriculum is. You know, but at least it's being instituted to some degree. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Now this is alcohol speaking, but it's cut off, <laughs> named after the pants. Like 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 George. Like really good question. George, Louisiana. George, Louisiana. Um, I'm not too hip to the history of the naming of Cutoff, but um, I think it has to Call do research with intern. with a um, I'm, man. They have so many people down there listening to me right now, just you know, blundering this. Um, but I think it has to do with a cutoff of a certain canal, and um, that was um, you know distracted towards Bayou Lafouche. Mm. Something along those lines. Um, Sounds good, even if that isn't the truth. Isn't it? it? Yeah. 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 Say it with authority and you're good. Michael, you you, uh, introduced one of your books, The Underground Guide, at the Ogden Museum as part of an event with several artists and musicians. Yes, that was pretty recently. We had an event at the Ogden uh, Southern Museum of Art. It was a... Reading, they usually they normally do musical events there, this and is the, the, thir- the Thursday night, right? Yeah, yeah. What is it called? The uh, Ogden After Hours Thursday night thing. And normally they do music, but the book that I have out from University of New Orleans Press is all about music. So um, over the years, I've just collected a lot of 
I mean, all my friends are musicians, and a few of them have also published books or been published, you know, in literary magazines and stuff. So I just decided to get on this idea of having readings that were pretty much musicians who had published things, and they get up and they read a story and then they play a song. And so, yeah, I had a big roster of like nine different people who got up and sang a song and read a story, a very dynamic array of freaky musicians. I like that. Did you play music after you read, or did you Uh, participate? I normally would have, but actually I played a video from a class that I teach that is an English class, but it's like a songwriting class. Like The kids practice their reading and writing by writing original songs. That's so dope. I love uh, that. And they recorded a whole rap album, and they actually performed at the Ogden themselves with Magnolia Shorty a couple summers back. But anyway, uh, I played a video of that for my musical portion instead of getting up and playing one of my own songs. And if you had People like the kids' music way better than my music. (laughs) (laughs) What would you have played if you... I mean, not... Well, not necessarily song-wise, but instrument-wise. Oh, um... My little one-man band setup that I do, uh, I have a, a drum machine, and I play guitar, and I sing. And then lately I have um, the horn section from the local skank, that all-girl ska band. We know those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ashley and Hannah, uh, who are like ten times better musicians than me. I have a bunch of people who are in my like sort of extended musical family, but I can play by myself, or I can play up to... Like we, I had a ten-piece band when we did that Prince tribute with the Florida Tees, so I, it just depends on it'll probably it's kind of different every time almost or different configuration. But lately, it's been me and the horn section. Wow! And these kids that you teach are where is this class taught? Uh, I've done it since Katrina, and we have done it. It's through a couple different after-school programs, so they. They move you around the city, so I've really done it in like two dozen, maybe even three dozen schools by now. Uh, I've recorded probably like 95 or 100 songs with all kinds of kids all over the city. They wrote about it in the New York Times. They wrote about their album and stuff, but um, yeah, that's my... It's only like five days a week, two hours a day teaching job, but yeah. What age? I've been doing it for like six years. Oh, I'll tell you... In the over the span of the whole project, I've taught pre-K through eighth grade, but they really can't do it until they're in like third grade. So if it's under that, I just have to figure out what to do <laughs> with them. It usually becomes like jumping jacks with beats. But I teach them how to pro- how to program for you or them <laughs> for all of us, you know. Yeah. Um, but they do a little writing. But then I they also um, they program beats. I teach them how to program beats on this drum machine, and then they also have written album reviews that they published in Gambit and Offbeat and Anti-Gravity. Do they have, does the group have a name? Uh, You know, like I said, it's always a different group. So one of the things that we do, one of the uh, lessons you would call it, is that we all decide on a band name, which is always a very heated process. (laughs) I'd be a bunch of (laughs) eight-year-olds having a heated discussion. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then my last question about that for now is do you ever get to have follow through with like getting feedback from parents or teachers about the progress they're making in reading and writing due to your class? You know, music? I have to admit that I don't, but I do know that they end up 
writing things and then rewriting another draft and then rewriting another draft and then figuring out how to perform it live. Like we don't just chop it up in Pro Tools. I make them line up and they like figure out how to do it like a relay race and do it perfect when we record. So I have never found out the direct results, but I always feel like it's like a, a big practice of a bunch of different things skills that they need I want to come to class no yeah, yeah, doubt yeah, yeah. I'll come jumping jacks like whichever. teamwork you know but they it's more like a tutoring thing to me than it is uh, I mean the final product is a song and if they did the song they think it's done to me the real point of it is that they really wrote so much in the process oh, of it and practiced their writing so uh, you know just practice I, I can't imagine that even if I don't have proof that it helped practice always helps you know, it opens so. <laughs> up that creative side yeah. you know well hopefully and we'll it makes see. it fun yeah. you've got to have they standout up, kids too oh just... yeah there's always a couple ringers i mean in in new orleans so many mm. of the kids you know so many of them are like oh my daddy's a rapper and he and has a scared. studio in the house and he puts me in the recording booth and i know what i know what that is and i know how to do this <laughs> you know and, and let me show very you often uh one of them says oh i already have a song like, wow. you want to hear my song? Original song. You're like, oh, really? Like, they were just waiting around for me to show up and record it. And so, you know, there's actually a couple on that on that record that's just one kid. And they were like, I've had this song since I was six that I, that's so cool. you know, play, sing to myself all the time. And, yeah. It's so, cool, isn't it, Mitch? interesting. It is way cool. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we'll uh, be able to work in, if you have one, maybe we'll be able to work in a song. Uh, maybe, yeah, I have, I have show, a if you have CD, one on yeah. You. Speaking of, um, love to play a song. Are you guys going to play live or are we playing a recorded song? Um, we can do live. Let's do live. We're going to do... Uh, this is Enharmonic Soul. Can you hear that? I can hear it good. It sounds beautiful. Oh, oh, oh. 
Thank you. So you're her manager? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, wow. No, this is his, so his Omnichord. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a borrowed instrument, and it's the first time I've ever played it. And wow. he let me... Um, yeah, I'm just instrument ready. He let me <laughs> hang stalker. out with it the other day, and as soon as I sat down with it, I instantly started writing that song. So yeah, The other day? She wrote that like, in five minutes. Yeah. Like I, I posted the video of her doing it. Um, on Facebook a couple days ago, like when it happened. Does oh. like, that thing have beats in it and stuff? Yeah, it, it does. does. Ooh, it does. Lord. How yeah, can we find you cool. website, Facebook wise? Give, give yourself a little plug. Yeah, it's all uh, inharmonicsouls.com, and you can, from that site, download our first download our first album for free, no charge, no strings attached. And you can go to facebook.com slash inharmonicsouls, twitter.com slash inharmonicsouls. Any social media network slash inharmonic souls. Inharmonic souls. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll find us uh, in all the videos and free downloads that you can handle. Wow. Maybe you could teach those classes, Kristen. Maybe so. That would be amazing. I mean, that's everything that you were talking about was making me very excited that that's happening. I mean, of course, there's so many things that happen in the city that uh, it's easy to be unaware education-wise, what's happening musically. I went to NOCA. My little brother is at NOCA mm. now. Oh, there you go. And um, it was cool, but you know what? Like, for me, I, I got kicked out of NOCA because I sang <laughs> uh, Summertime. Uh, Chris Royal, of Chris Royal and Dark Matter, we were in NOCA together, and he's like, hey, sing Summertime. And I had been a classical student there for three years. It was, like, my last year there. And I was so frustrated because I wanted to sing something other than classical music. The arias are beautiful. I loved it, but I wanted another outlet. And I sang Summertime in performance <sighs> class, which the dean of the school, like, he hooked up my microphone. And so, like, there was a little discrepancy even amongst the teachers as to whether or not I should do it. If you're a classical student, your teacher is your dictator, and they say what you can or can't do. So it was a little backhanded that we performed it. Um, but I guess I was saying all that to say I got kicked out and as an artist and a, a young person and somebody who wanted to sing and use my art, I felt like for an institution that was supposed to cultivate that wow, and encourage and- that, I was actually discouraged and had to kind of find my voice again and actually ended up with a, this guy, Drew Montague, who became my new uh, vocal coach. He's a professor at Loyola and he was so sweet and so kind and uh, gave me a new desire to feel okay to just, you know, present myself vocally and musically. And um, it's just... And authentically, that's what you wanted to say. Yeah, exactly. And authentically, exactly. Did it break you for a little? I mean, did you... Did oh, you... God, I was so, so sad. I mean, I was a senior in high school <sighs> when that happened. And literally, like, my teacher at the time as well was just... I mean, anybody who studied classical music as a vocalist, has had one teacher at least that has made it pretty difficult for them. It's such a strict discipline, and um, it can be a personal attack a lot of times. And, yeah, so when I was done with, with um, that experience, definitely I was, I was down, you know. But luckily there are teachers and there are people who, who care enough about the individual and the student who give them some kind of inspiration. And you having, going into any school and that one kid that has the song that you say, yeah, that's cool, dude. That, like the belief, you know, that somebody can have a belief in you. It can change your life. The fact that Eric Green heard songs I was writing and said, yeah, that's cool. Why can't other people hear that? 
made it okay for me to want to have a band. So the the power of belief in other people, it's beyond anything we even realize. So that's awesome that you're, yeah. And you're sharing that fearlessness that it brings is is crucial Mm because I think a lot of talent is squelched by that, by the fear. Well, because it's such a part of who you are. So we're always, it's risky. Yeah. You're always, I think it's hard to express yourself as a person and then to have that part of you exposed as well. Yeah. But you, it, 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 I mean, just even watching you sing, it's coming straight out. There's, you look like you don't have a choice. Yeah, it's not <laughs> I mean, an option. Yeah, yeah, it shows. And I, I know um, everything I read about you, I think every single excerpt uses the word passion. I mean, and it's there. Thank you. It's beautiful. Appreciate yeah. that. Sally. Yes. Eat the mic. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so you are I don't expressly... want to come after that act. No. Oh, no, no, we're not going to ask you to sing. I mean, you can if you want to. <laughs> no, I don't. Show, show us some of your work. Well, um... That's supposed to be a joke. Yeah. This yeah. <laughs> is large-scale I'm sculptures. I'm tongue-tied. Just whip something up out of the silverware. Yeah. No, I... Uh, well, I make installations out of... Um, kind of throwaway consumer materials so they're very colorful often and um inspire comments like oh my god i've never seen a tree made out of yarn (laughs) spatula something well is it when you first started using these consumer goods and you're talking about used consumer goods or no usually they're new i buy them new i go to um dollar stores i frequent many many dollar stores and kind of walmart type stores and buy most of this stuff like in quantity yeah and so it's more it's more of an artistic endeavor than an or a choice than an ecological one right right it's an attraction i have to just shiny plastic um, materials is it always plastic for the most part yes and bright and and very manufactured looking. And is cheap, there... Very cheap. A, a reason that you know in your past that you're drawn to these objects and using them in an artistic way? Um, I don't know that the answer to that question. Um, I think it's always been there because when I look at sort of earlier work, it's, it's got this element to it of... Um, of sort of tackiness, kitsch. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely something there, but I'm not sure what. But there's humor. I mean, there's got to yes, be. There's a lot of humor. Yeah. What's your uh, favorite ob- consumer object that you've, or do you have a favorite um, consumer object that you've well, used? Well, I do like the wiffle balls because. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? Wiffle yeah. balls have a lot of holes in them, and then you can weave materials through the wiffle balls, and it kind of instantly transforms them into something kind of gross. <laughs> and I like that. It looks like a, it looks like a growth. Right. You know, because it's kind of growing the tendrils and the, um, <laughs> and I use a lot of pipe cleaners, so that has a lot of texture. And uh, they, someone once said it's like a virus that's just constantly multiplying and it's kind of scary but beautiful. Maybe like a, um, you know how an underwater fish tank, an aquarium mm-hmm. can look sort of seriously 
playful, playful, but a little over the top, otherworldly. That's kind of a little hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic. <laughs> yeah. No, no care for if the colors are all working together in harmony, or that's what yeah, I think no, of when I think that, of aquariums. That you don't really think. That color doesn't go with that other color. You just like <laughs> well, it's a lot of fluorescent colors, I guess. Right. Um, no, the colors are very carefully arranged. There's yeah. a lot of arrangement. A lot mm. of arrangement that's not probably seen by the viewer right. um, that goes into making these. So they're hugely time-consuming. And uh, Karun here, she and I have done several together, so she knows we... Uh, it will have a, sh- a limited amount of time to do to make an installation, and it will be a kind of an all day, every day. Um, am I going to have a stroke? <laughs> kind of mat affair. Where at? Where have you had them? Um, well, I just On, have you had any in St. Claude, or have you been involved in that whole or pros- any other prospects? No, I did one. I just recently did one at the Contemporary Art Center that was up for Prospect Two on the third floor, a big, a really huge one. And um, Karun and I did one at the Louisiana State Museum, and we did one at. Um, we worked on Scrap House together, which is a huge sculpture uh, across from the convention center. Oh, on... so the one up in the tree. Yes. That's yours. Yes, so that's, that was part yeah. of my wife is Morgana King. Who, oh, uh, oh, my God. Did that whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've yeah. known Morgana that's forever. One of my favorite, that's one of my favorite uh, <laughs> really? Thank ones you. of all those projects. That's oh, really thanks. awesome. I love that. Thank you. What did you love about it, Um. Well, it sort of reminds me about of Katrina, but it's not a explicitly Katrina whenever anything comes at me explicitly Katrina I, I would rather concentrate on other things mm-hmm. but um, also just the color of it and the, the patchwork quality I really like um, when people make big sculptures out of a bunch of little tiny parts of things I, I get really mm-hmm. engaged in that and think about <laughs> how they did it and you know that how, perfectly describes yeah. It's my installations, by oh, the way. Okay. They're always like a multitude yeah. of tiny little pieces of things and a huge quantity of them. Surge but, does yeah. also Same. take little tiny pieces of photographs and then builds right. these giant sculptures out of them that look like the original. It's really crazy. But yeah. also, and then there's mm-hmm. a couple other people in Louisiana that I've seen at Noma that do cloth, like quilt type, a painting and that kind right. of stuff and quilt right. pieces and... I love all that. Right. Uh-huh. What, like, inspiration-wise, what, what do you draw from? What, where does that come from? Um, well, the, the, the ins- I'd say the installations come from just an attraction to that specific mass-marketed material. I'm just drawn to that. The uh, Scrap House piece came from that was a post-Katrina piece which I have to say like Michael I totally stayed away from that subject matter yeah but having yeah (laughs) exactly it's the last thing I wanted to do but I when I got this grant to build an outdoor sculpture I drew upon what I saw when I first did get back from my hurricane where I saw just enormous objects in like a, a 
embedded in other enormous objects. In right. this case, it's you know boats and on a tree inside of a tree or <laughs> cars on a house or just very strange mm-hmm. hybrids of different things. So that's how I got the idea. It was just such a a mesmerizing thing to look at. Yeah. That it it kind of just won me over. That's kind of what I meant was that it works if you don't aren't thinking about Katrina and if you put it in Boston or something mm-hmm. the idea of a house in a tree mm-hmm. is going to be a compelling image. And I saw a lot of that too. I, there's one that I'll never forget in the I live right before the bridge before you go in the lower ninth ward and there was a house and another house had gotten on top of it, and sticking out of the middle of those two houses was a Cadillac. <laughs> it was so bizarre. But, and so it kind of reminds me of that, but at the same time I can detach myself from those images, and you're, it just looks like a house in a tree, which mm-hmm. is always exactly. a, you know, exactly. like some kind of archetypal image or something yeah. that everybody relates to. Right, right. Hey, Mitch. Yes. Didn't you say you have a song about a house in a tr- I mean, a house in a tree? <laughs> uh, I was going to play Summertime, but I didn't want to get kicked Then I'll get so. kicked off the show. Kicked out of the But I, I, I have another uh, seasonal-appropriate song called I'll Remember April.
Oh, thank you. We are in the middle of our happy hour show here at the Columns Hotel. I'm your host, Mindy, and with me is Michael Patrick Welch, a local author. We're going to talk about his underground guide to New Orleans very soon. I was actually thinking how glad Mitch probably is that he has this gig right now instead of being outside at the French Quarter Fest. It's way this too is hot far outside. superior. Yeah, far the superior. air conditioning is sweet. <laughs> It's it's a beautiful day. It's a, once it cools <laughs> off tonight, French Quarter Fest is going to be sweet. We have Kristen Bradford and Eric Green of Enharmonic Soul, and artist Sally Heller, who likes to make art out of wiffle balls and <laughs> other assorted plastic bulk items. It's fantastic. I can't wait to see some of it. Um, all right, Michael, you are clearly in the know about what's going on artistically out in uh, the east side. And um, I want to hear about your underground guide. Oh, well, uh, it's actually, I believe, the first ever sort of tourist material that is directed at people who come here to see music. Oddly, there's not another book that helps people navigate all the music clubs and whatnot that are in town um, when I believe that... big chunk of people who come here come here specifically for music so I own that little bit of real estate somehow but it also focuses on all of the tons and tons of music and art that uh, doesn't get written about very much. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not popular Uh, in my opinion it just doesn't fit into the sort of tourist paradigm that would help the tourism industry bring money into the city via tourism and so it doesn't get written about in a way where it's sort of like whether you're good or not doesn't matter and originality is almost a hindrance if you toe the line and you help perpetuate the traditional music in New Orleans you are rewarded with articles and magazine covers and gigs at jazz fest and if you make original music that doesn't have anything to do with the traditions then whether or not you have big crowds or are popular you just don't get written about so my agenda since i moved to new orleans is to serve all the tons of musicians who don't get written about because they don't help perpetuate tourism and uh so the book pretty much just covers everything in New Orleans that you won't find in another guidebook and that you won't find at Jazz Fest and that is good but gets overlooked. Well, and Harmonic Soul, how do you feel? How do you feel here? I feel like that yeah. is like the we best have, thing I've that, heard in a while. We have that talk frequently. We have that talk frequently. Um you know, weekly almost, where it's like, you know, where where do you head? Because it's it's a tough thing because tradition holds so strongly uh, in the city. Or if you're not doing it uh, traditionally, then it, you kind of get looked past. Or if you're not falling into like the strong, strict niche, then you're you look past. Yeah. And there's a huge support system for traditional New Orleans musicians, and there's almost no support system for people who are trying to be imaginative and original and self-expressive. And so, I don't know, it's my, my small attempt at being the support system for the rest of the musical community that doesn't get represented, which is huge. I mean, it's like 
hundred it's as big as the traditional scene, you know, all the DJs and rappers and heavy metal bands and you know. Now I think it's New Orleans as part of that support system because we're sitting here with N no, yeah. Soul today. Oh yeah, you know I'm <laughs> no, but, I, I'm, but I'm on my high when, horse. <laughs> when you when you say Eric, when you say overlooked, do you mean by the media specifically? Do you mean by audiences? I think it's more uh, media. Yeah, problem. media kind of thing. Um, you know, and you sit back artistically, and you're like, "Well, am I doing something wrong? And am, am I not, you know, uh, molding myself to the way it should be, or whatever it is?" It kind of makes you, as personally, as an, an artistic person, it it gets me thinking deeper than I probably should. Where it's like, "Well, am I doing something wrong? Should I be doing it this way instead of that way?" And um, you know, and that's why I said that's a discussion that we have on a regular basis. It's it's like. A discussion about actually changing what you do to gain... Well, or leaving the city, you know, uh, like, where, where else can we that. go where this will be cultivated, where people will care about what we're doing? Um, I think it goes back to what I was talking about earlier about the belief and the power of somebody believing in you and saying, yeah, you know what, this is good. Y'all should do whatever it is you're doing in a, a bigger venue and we'll publicize it and we'll help you. Like, there hasn't been any of that... A little bit of that. I can't say there's been none. Um, our families are very supportive because they um, help bring us into the world, you know, and like <laughs> friends. But it's it's hard to get um, the community behind you, I guess. So uh, audiences too. And you mean, I mean, there is an audience, but um, I feel like what's just more loved in this city, what, or what the perception is, my perception is, is that the traditional music is more hyped which is great too my little brother plays the horn he plays the trumpet he's was had has a musical musical education from the streets you know and if that tradition wasn't alive he wouldn't have that he went to carnegie hall um in december and played with preservation hall there are beautiful beautiful amazing wonderful things that come from the tradition and it's not to knock that but there's also other things that are happening. It's just a question of balance. There you go. Right. And, and when you say support system, Michael, what, what would the elements of that system be? Where, uh, just where originality would be supported as much in the media as carrying on New Orleans' uh, best traditions is. There's a lot more reward uh, in, and you can definitely make more of a living perpetuating the traditional forms of music than you can trying to make up your own thing. Right, financially. Yeah. So, Sally, I would guess that you would consider your art sort of non-traditional. Very. I mean, <laughs> and do, list- are these conversations resonating yes, with you? Yes, I'm listening to this saying this is exact, very true for the visual arts, too. And I think New Orleans, having been born here, and I did leave for a while, but I do feel like I know it. And it is... It's New Orleans is hard. It doesn't easily accept, like you said, originality, new forms of anything. Um. <laughs> While you're saying this, I'm thinking of how every time I go to a quote unquote art market, there isn't one thing that doesn't have a fleur de lis on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It has a very commercial bent, and it celebrates its own history. And I think a perfect example is when you come into the New Orleans airport and you see oil paintings of Louis Armstrong. And you'll go to the airport in Atlanta or L.A. or bigger airports, and you'll see real art, you know, that they've commissioned artists to make that's very contemporary. 
and I just think that speaks loudly that mm. we have commercial portraits, you know, of old jazz musicians, and they're playing Louis Armstrong as people are getting off the plane. So they right. probably—I don't know—but they do they have rotating. I mean, are, are those those are purchased artworks? They're there all the they're time, there. so we don't have exhibits no. that come and go at no. our airport, and that no. is symptomatic but, of well, well, other airports have purchased artworks too, but it's contemporary art. It's not something that's you know speaks only one language. Do you feel pro- do you I'm directing this to Michael but anyone do you feel that we're making progress because I would I would guess that No, we're definitely making yeah, progress. I there mean can be you a have hybrid. Yeah, I would agree you with have that voodoo, too. I mean in terms of mute oh god in terms of art it's just amazing the progress that we've made yeah, since Katrina. But there's true. also you know the Foberg Music Festival that sort of celebrates all the rock and roll that and hip hop and stuff that New Orleans has. There's the Voodoo Festival you know, that is more focused on modern styles, but also has a preservation hall tent. You know, it's all about balance. But the, uh, sorry, the one thing I, I uh, and this is also plugged for my novel that takes place in Costa Rica, there's this uh, a fact in there, like the novel, one part of it has to do with going to Costa Rica and tourism being such a molding force of this, mm. like, in these villages where there's like 500 people and then there's like 500 tourists there too, you know, it's really strange. But anyway, uh, in this place where I stayed writing the book, there was one restaurant where they served tacos and tacos are not something that you find in Costa Rica, but tourists come to this Latin American country and they think there's going to be tacos, so they provide them with tacos. Yikes. And I think that the same thing happens in New Orleans with the music. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, trying to make everybody think, or trying to meet people's expectations what halfway. New is. Like, oh, so you people who don't know anything about New Orleans, what do you think about New Orleans? Y'all wrestle and then alligators, they meet right? You, right? And then they nutria, meet, right? And then they meet you halfway. That's cut off. But I think yeah. there's a huge, <laughs> there's a huge, um, you know, there's a lot of people who love New Orleans who don't want to be met halfway, and they want to find the base level thing that we go and do when we're out, and that's right. what you know the underground god is about. Well, what corner of the French Quarter does not have a Dixieland band on it? You know, every corner. <laughs> to myself, it's, it's, it's almost like a fear. It's a fear <laughs> that people forget what comes out of New Orleans or a fear of, you know, the culture that comes out of it. Like, there's a possibility that they might lose that in the tourist eyes or wherever it might be looking on from the inside. That It's just... A fear that it, we might lose it, and so it's it's like not kind of perpetuating the other creativeness of the right. city, you know. Yeah. You want to perpetuate some right now and play us another song? Oh, show sure. yeah. us. <laughs> Bring us the perpetuate. future. Bring us the future. He's <sighs> gathering a guitar. I'm really glad for Preservation Hall and all that stuff. I'm I I just feel like the preservation is covered. Hmm. Big time, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but I mean, if they weren't there, what a horrible situation we it's would have. It's not either or by any yeah, means. Yeah, yeah, no, not at all. It's balance, balance. Yeah, I mean, look such as life. Most death is done, and, and Eric Badu and stuff with Preservation Hall. It's you know just bringing it more to a, a different cultural 
uh, medium, um, you know, with, with different talents and things. I think it's great. I would like most Def to come to my rap class if he's out there. Nassim Bey, <laughs> please come talk to my rap students.
caught that big boy thing at the yeah, end. Yeah, you got that. <laughs> Your uh, writing time in Costa Rica was self-imposed. How? How? I yeah. Uh, between mo- between living in New Orleans and I'm originally from Florida. I was uh, when I was planning my escape from Florida. I went and <laughs> hid in Costa Rica for a few months to try to decide where maybe I would want to move in America. And while I was there, I started working on that book. That was like eight years ago. I mean, no, 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 no. Sorry, that was like 15 years ago by now. But I worked on that, on y'all's problem for probably eight years and went to Costa Rica a few times. But um, yeah, and then while I was in Costa Rica, as travelers do, I linked up with some people and one of the guys was from New Orleans. And I was talking to him about where I should move when I got back and he said... Oh, you're a musician. You should just move to New Orleans. It's really cheap to live, which it's not cheap anymore, but it used to be. <clears throat> and uh, he said, "Yeah, you should move here. It's really cheap to live." And I'd never been here or anything, and I just like got on the bus and moved here. And <laughs> he found me an apartment. It was like a three hundred dollar apartment. It was gigantic, and it was on off Esplanade. And uh, I write all about this in my novel, The Donkey Show, actually. But um, yeah, that's how I ended up here. But I didn't know anything about the place, but. You're a local implant. Glad I'm here. Yeah. There's so many people that I meet constantly like that who find so many people that had never even been to New Orleans get a whim and like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to New Orleans, come here and fall in love and then add to the city. And I think yeah. that's what's so cool about it. They bring some new life and they see, they have an outsider's view. You can come in and not be so stuck in the normal ways of doing things and say, man, I, there's this opportunity that people that are here all the time might not necessarily see. We might see it as a problem where somebody from an outsider's perspective can come in and say, well, maybe it's not a problem. Maybe it's there's a, maybe it's an opportunity. That's interesting, especially harking back to the conversation that we were having earlier, because I would say the perception that I hear most often is that this place is ripe for change. Yeah. And, and change is welcome and tradition's not going anywhere at the same time. Right. So it was interesting to hear your perspective, not necessarily getting the support to bring that change. You know. I think the change is happening regardless. Yeah. <clears throat> but it, but it is, in my experience, still very much unto its own. It does. Not, it, we are not anywhere USA. There's a lot of cities we could name, and we could be in any one of them right now, and it wouldn't look that different, or feel that different, or sound that different. Mm-hmm. And. I, I do. I mean, in my opinion is that that's not the case here at all. I know exactly where I am, and very deliberately mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. implanted here, as you said. Yeah. yeah, and I love that that train of thought, you know. And I think more people need to gravitate towards it. But in the same respect, without sounding like I'm knocking anything that this city is about, um, I've seen a lot of imports come into the city, and in hopes to do something different and to, to make a change and raise some type of awareness and to break some new ground, get lost in the tradition of the city and get lost in the 24-7, you know, barroom mm-hmm. fiasco of the city and, and just get lost in that, just the whole environment that this city has to offer. Um, and then they fade away and, and they don't come out with the strong wholehearted soulfulness that they came into the city with we had a guest um, like that <laughs> you know and, and that's the way it is it's uh I've, I've seen a lot of people with a lot of promise and just kind of fade out um so 
I don't know where I'm getting at with that comment, but that's just an observation that I've had, and it, it just takes the, the strong-willed and the, the determined to really grasp hold and, and take root here and make it happen. Can I ask you a question, um, Eric and Kristen? Have you all uh, approached recording studios here? A lot of the record, like we recorded our the first album, the only album we've made, um, just you know, in a friend's house just the way the poor people do it, you know, no money and just trying to get a product out there, something out there. Um, as far as like local studios, not really. I mean, like it's all, all of it, all of our, anything that we've done, I would say has been friend based. Like I have a studio come to my house and yeah. that kind of thing. I mean, There's not studios like a, are in the same boat as musicians, you know, they're Oh, a business. Oh. They're not a right. charity. So yes. they're like struggling just like you, oh. except for, couple of them but even them you know piety street which is a mm -hmm. one of the best studios in the world you know it costs a little bit of money it's a pretty cheap for worldwide standards but you know they're in the same boat as uh, the musicians there is, is that studio is piety <laughs> street in your book oh yeah yeah mark bingham is in there mark bingham is a legendary he's yeah i've always gotten more. the impression that they don't want that word about that studio to get out is that no, inaccurate. I I just think, uh, knowing Mark a little bit, I think he just, people come to him, I don't mean to make that s seem like he, you know, turns, his, he'll do anything, he's always got people coming to him, you know, I, and he does do a lot of charity, and I know he, you know, records some people for free, other people on a sliding scale, they mastered my record for really cheap, and I think he's just busy without having to try, not to make it sound like he's living in the lap of luxury or something, but, you know, the better studios always have somebody knocking on their door. My friend Goat, who has House of a Thousand Hertz, he's a Maceo Parker sound man, and he has a studio in the Bywater, and that's like a tiny studio, but, you know, he's always got somebody asking him to record. <clears throat> but you know they're just trying to scrape their way by making art like everybody else so it's not like they if you go and talk to them they say come on in and record they say how am I going to pay my rent yeah. you know just like everybody, everybody else <laughs> but so you know I mean a lot of people uh, especially these days you can just teach yourself how to do the basics of recording and right. buy save up some money and buy some pretty cheap equipment and actually do it yourself and Hopefully, every time you do it, it gets better each time. And but you know, the music world is very do-it-yourself nowadays. Definitely, way more than it used to be. You know, I know how to work Pro Tools and record a an album. You know, it's probably, probably I'm sure a good you thing. Guys I think do too. It might right. not be your ideal how it's going to sound, but you got to do it. You know, you either do it or you don't yeah. do it, or else it costs you as much as a car. Yeah. You, know. you all have a in Harmonic Soul has a short video on I guess it's MySpace where you took a demo to the music conference that's here yeah that was like <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny now thinking about that but that was probably when we had had a band for like maybe six months I just remember that you maybe. said you recorded that in someone's house in Metairie yeah we didn't even have a full band at that point I think it might have just been no that, that we did a it was the cutting edge music conference um, I can't remember what hotel it was held at at that time um, but 
the recording that we gave them to critique it was it was a live recording of our first, first ever performance, performance yeah. uh, that Ooh. just Kristen and I did so together Ooh, I was gonna say. that, that yeah. Kristen I and I did together uh, no there wasn't even a, a full band at that point it was just, just the two her of and I deciding yeah. that we were gonna make music together and uh, brought it to them and, and it was funny um, while it was playing while that song was playing uh, one of the, the, the judges and critiques um, was sitting there messing on his laptop, and he's like, you know, after hearing this song, you know, I, I think you need to go in this direction. He plays a uh, Kelly Clarkson song. <laughs> I saw it. Was that you rolling your eyes? You yeah. turn the camera around on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like, they were like, okay. Scary eyes. Yeah. So cutting edge was helpful, or, I mean, did you feel... It was, it was like, a, I mean, we were so green to everything, you know. Yeah. It was a very naive approach. Uh, I don't know what I thought was going to happen, us getting together, writing songs, you know. It was just kind of like, okay, well, let's do this. Let's just put it out there and see what these people have to say about it. We literally had played, like, one gig, just he and I. We probably had five songs we had worked out, you know, and probably two of those were covers. Do you remember Raddy Skurvix being at that? Was he? He's told me the same exact story, almost, that you, (laughs) you know. And he's been making music since he was 12 years old and is like a, you know. His father was, like... His Vince father's Vince Vance, yeah. yeah. But he, yeah, Raddy Skurvix is a genius, and they, like, picked him apart in the same exact way, you know. Funny. Somebody who's, like, probably more talented than anybody right. on that panel, and they're like, mm, yeah, let me tell you how you, how you could be better. You know? <laughs> All right, Michael, we know you got here by escaping Florida. Yeah. <laughs> and Kristen, you're from here, and Eric, you stalked Kristen. That's how you got here. Yeah, and thanks, Sally. Thanks for leaving that as my legacy. <laughs> well, you're that. sort of picking nits off her when we first got here, so I think it was successful. Um, Sally, when and, when and how did you get here, and are you here for good? Um, I, was, I was born here oh. at Turo Hospital during the Sugar Bowl. <laughs> the doctor had to leave the game. Oh. Nice. Cleo was born at So Turo. you... Are, well, I, mean, I, I left for college, and I stayed away for about um, 20 years, and then <clears throat> came back and have been here since. Well, uh, you guys have all been delightful. We need to wrap it up. You. Aww, so thank you. Well. Yeah, we don't Good have to company. wrap up happy hour. We just have to wrap up happy hour. <laughs> Um, Mitch, if you want to take us out, I will uh, let our listeners know that our producers are Anish Karun. She's also a co-artist of Sally Heller, we learned today. Trish Kaufman, Grant Morris, and Graham DePonte. Our associate producer and technical director is Chris Kehoe. Our music director is Christian Unruh. Our web designer and hopefully our link to the real world is Cliff Brigden. Our theme is written and is right now being played by Mitch Foreman. If you'd like to join us on the show, please email us at itsneworleans at gmail.com. As always, we recorded live at the columns today. You can check out our other happy hours and our other shows out to lunch with Peter Ricciuti, live at Commander's Palace, Mindset with psychiatrist Dr. Nick Pajic, and True to the Game with Chris True and Tammy Nelson. You can keep up with us by liking It's New Orleans on Facebook, following us on Twitter, and subscribing to our podcasts on iTunes. You can write us reviews as well. Help us get better. Help us get bigger. Happy Hour is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. For Mitch Foreman, who makes funny faces when he plays the piano, I'm Mindy Hawes. We're off to uh, French Quarter Fest. You can catch us here next week on It's New Orleans Happy Hour. Thank you so much.